Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. We are in chapter 2. I'm going to tidy up some of our discussion on 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and some of those verses we were talking about at the beginning of chapter 2. But before we get into that and some of our new subject matter, I wanted to first ask you a question. How are you doing? Now, how are you doing in the spiritual life? How are you doing in your relationships with your family and friends? Brothers and sisters, how are you doing? I wonder if we ask ourselves that question enough. You know, I found myself on Saturday very reflective and asking myself the question, how am I doing? My friends, we have to take stock in that question every day. How are we doing in the spiritual life? Am I advancing in the spiritual life? Am I doing what God is asking me to do? Am I bringing Jesus to my family and friends? Am I bringing Jesus into the workplace? Am I bringing Jesus into my daily encounters? Am I the person that God is calling me to be? Over this past weekend, I found myself in a number of conversations where people were struggling. Yes, it is dark out there, but you've heard me say it before. The darker it gets, all that means is what? But the brighter our light shines. Don't let the darkness overwhelm you, but be that light, be that beacon. We can only be that light. We can only be that beacon if we are who God is calling us to be. And if we are asking that question, how am I doing? How am I doing in my relationship with Jesus Christ? How am I doing in my relationship with my family? Maybe my spouse, my children, my parents. How am I doing in my relationship with those who are closest to me? How am I doing in my relationship to those who I meet in my everyday life? Important questions, my friends. And understand something. Questions that St. Paul would have us ask. Huh? I mean, consider what we were talking about last week. Last week, my friends, we had touched upon the importance of the body of Christ. You know, one of the distinguishing characteristics of Western culture itself, especially since the time of the Enlightenment, huh, is this pronouncement, this pronounced emphasis on the individual over the community. People today tend to focus on their own individual uniqueness and, and autonomy from one another, emphasizing their own interests and concerns over those of the community or group to which they belong. But how does that work, my friends? <laughs> I mean, how does that work? This stress on the individual is foreign to the biblical worldview. And this is what Paul wanted us to see. If you were to think about it in the Old Testament, to be a child of Abraham was to be first and foremost, what? A member of the people of God, the kahal in the Old Testament. Well, in the New Testament, to be a follower of Christ Jesus meant what? But joining the assembly, the ecclesia, as we've discussed. Or we could say belonging to the kononia, the fellowship of believers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, we saw how Paul insists 
that the actions of one community member have a profound spiritual effect, for good or bad, on the whole group. Huh? On the whole group. And certainly, this is a practical consequence of his famous teaching that Christians are members of the body of Christ. So again, I ask you the question, how are you doing in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I ask you that question, why? Because, well, what did Paul talk about? That question is quintessential if we are going to be the person we are called to be for who? The body of Christ, right? The kononia, the fellowship of believers. Brothers and sisters, the communal aspect of our religious identity has challenging ramifications, yes. It means that our horizons of concern must extend, must extend beyond ourselves and and even our immediate circle of relationships, such as our family, friends, or, or colleagues at work. It starts there, for sure, as I've already noted. But at the same time, to look beyond those immediate relationships, to stretch ourselves, if you will. The Catechism of the Catholic Church reminds us that, you know, when we receive the Eucharist, we are linked to one another, especially to those who are suffering, especially to those who are poor, especially to those who are being persecuted. So we receive the body of Christ so that we might better serve the body of Christ, right? We ask the question, how are we doing in the spiritual life? So as to be reminded what we need to do on an individual basis and, and how we might love those closest to us, but also that we might begin to see a new horizon. We can put it another way. When we love our family, friends, and colleagues, those who we meet every day, those are like uh, doors that we walk through that we might see something new. And that something new is what but someone, right? The person who you didn't notice before. Does this not bring us back to <laughs> that all-important structure of faith that I've probably spoken to 150 times, right? That once we better understand what it means to live in God, we will better understand what it means to exist for other. Once we come to know Him, then we can make Him known. Once we better understand the gift of Jesus Christ, we will better understand the task to proclaim his goodness and love. Now, how do we love better at home? (laughs) What did we talk about last week? Well, forgiveness. Forgiveness. If we're going to understand what it means to love those closest to us, we must first understand that the process of forgiveness starts at home. If you are married and have children, you know what I'm talking about right now. I am married and I have four children. And I have the opportunity to forgive and be forgiven on a monthly, if not weekly basis. Why? Because we are sinners, my friends. We are sinners. And we have to enter into mercy to both give it and receive it. If we cannot learn the language of forgiveness at home, then how can we possibly begin to forgive those who are outside the home? Often the most difficult people to forgive are those people closest to us, right? Often the inability to see the poor on the margins is because we are so wrapped up in ourselves and, and the pity parties that we throw for ourselves. What did Elton John once say? 
the most difficult word to say is what? Sorry. Sorry. And I have to agree with Elton John, <laughs> right? Is not that word, and maybe we can say that phrase, I'm sorry, the most difficult phrase to say? I'm sorry for my lack of presence to you. I'm sorry for hurting you. I'm sorry for not putting you first when God asked me to put you first. I'm sorry. Brothers and sisters, we all have people in our lives where we are called to say those words, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And if we can say those words, we are well on our way to entering deeper into that Christian vocation of love, to entering deeper into that Christian vocation of forgiveness, and entering deeper into what? What it means to live in the body of Christ. Because circling back to St. Paul, everything we do impacts something or someone. Everything we do. huh? And we have to be mindful of this. Okay, now that being said, let us turn our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And I will go ahead and read verses, let's see here, 12 to 17. So if you want to pull your Bibles out and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. When I came to Tross to preach the gospel of Christ, a door was opened for me in the Lord. But my mind could not rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumph, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak of Christ. Oh, beautiful stuff. So what can we say there? Well, there's uh, several things I want to highlight, to the least of which are these opening verses. So after urging the Corinthians to forgive and receive back the offender, Paul informs them of his restlessness, huh? Of his restlessness as he waited for news about how they had received and reacted to his tearful letter, huh? Now it's evident that his purpose here is to convey what? But his love and concern for the community. What were we just talking about? Now Paul goes on to tell the Corinthians that although he was engaged in promising and fruitful missionary work, he had no relief because he did not find his brother Titus. We should note something here. Paul says that he found no relief in his spirit. Now, according to the apostle, the spirit is what? But the interior place of contact with, or we could say sensitivity to, the spirit of God. Thus, he implies that his unrest was what? Instigated by God, right? He's restless, not because he's not doing what he should do, no, because God has invaded his soul with his very life and love, and his soul is restless until he is united with his brother, huh? Incidentally, uh, Father Degman makes a point here, and I do want to read this, especially for those who might be interested in our response that changed during the Mass. We no longer say, and also with you, but with your spirit. 
Why did we change that? Well, <laughs> Father Degman makes the point here. Paul's reference to his spirit, that dimension of human existence wherein the divine spirit communicates with and inspires us, ultimately speaks to the deeper dimension of why we say, with your spirit. So I thought that was important to just note. Okay, what else could we say here? Well, what about this language of fragrance and aroma? Let me tell you something, my friends. These verses are rich, are very, very rich. You, you've heard me talk about the importance of reading the old in light of the new and new in light of the old. Well, here we have a beautiful example of why it is so, so important. In verses 14 to 16, Paul rejoices that the gospel is being disseminated like the fragrance of incense. It emits this sweet aroma of eternal life to believers on the way to salvation and the stench of death to those who are headed for spiritual ruin. Now, as it relates to the Old Testament, the terms fragrance and aroma are drawn from many Old Testament passages that describe the pleasing odor of sacrifices offered to the Lord. Where do we first see this? But in the covenant made with Noah. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, and there are many other passages that speak to this pleasing odor. These words of fragrance and aroma are also used together in the book of Sirach, chapter 24, verse 15. There, it is used to illustrate how the wisdom of Yahweh, embodied in the Mosaic law, spreads throughout Israel. Now, this is relevant because Paul reinterprets all of this in the light of the New Testament, where the ministers of the gospel offer themselves as living sacrifices to God and spread the wisdom of the gospel throughout the world. So the words frankincense and aroma were very important to Paul and really very important to the early life of the church. In point of fact, this is the very thing we read in the martyrdom account of one St. Polycarp of Smyrna. Now, you've heard me talk about him before. I'm not going to read his whole account, but I do want to read a few pieces of it so that we might get a deeper sense of how this language Paul is using in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16 would have been very much in the mindset of the early Christians. Now, St. Polycarp, we should first say that St. Polycarp was arguably the most well-connected man in the, in the ancient church. At the end of his long life, he was a young disciple of St. John the Apostle. At middle age, we know that he was a bishop colleague of St. Ignatius of Antioch. And as an old man, we know that he was the master teacher to the young boy who would grow up as who but St. Irenaeus of Lyon. So by his longevity, St. Polycarp was able to teach many how to live as the apostles taught him to live. And we can also say, as we'll read about here in a bit, by his death as a martyr at the age of 86, he taught generations of persecuted Christians after him how to die. Now, as it relates to the martyrdom, the proconsulate of Rome was pressing this great bishop of Smyrna to deny his Christian God and ultimately swear by the fortunes of Caesar. <clears throat> so it is here we will pick up with the account of his martyrdom and listen closely to what's going on here. I just love this, absolutely love this. The proconsul then said to him, I have wild beasts at hand. To these I will throw you unless you repent. But Polycarp answered, Call them then, 
For we are not accustomed to repent of what is good in order to adopt what is evil. And it is well for me to be changed from what is evil to what is righteous. But again, the proconsul said to him, If you are not afraid of the wild beasts, I will cause you to be consumed by fire if you will not repent. But Polycarp said, You threaten me with fire that burns for an hour and after a little is extinguished. But you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Bring forth what you wish. I mean, listen to Polycarp there. What heroic faith in the eyes of death. The proconsul was astonished and sent his herald to proclaim three times in the midst of the stadium, Polycarp has confessed that he is a Christian. This proclamation having been made by the herald, the whole crowd, both of the heathen and Jews who lived in Smyrna, cried out with uncontrollable fury and in a loud voice, This is the great teacher of Asia, the father of the Christians, and the destroyer of our gods, he who has been teaching many not to sacrifice or to worship the gods. The multitudes immediately gathered together wood, and when the funeral pile was ready, Polycarp laying aside all his garments and loosing his girdle, sought also to take off his sandals, something he was not used to doing because every one of the faithful had always been eager to touch his skin. For on account of his holy life, he was, even before his martyrdom, adorned with every kind of good. Immediately then they surrounded him with those substances which had been prepared for the funeral pile. But when they were about to fix him with nails, he said, Leave me as I am, for he who gives me strength to endure the fire will also enable me, without your securing me by nails, to remain without moving in the pile. <laughs> Isn't this extraordinary? And here we have the great prayer of, of Polycarp. He looked up to heaven and said, O Lord God Almighty, the Father of your beloved Son and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of you, the God of angels and powers and of every creature and of the whole race of the righteous who live before you. I give you thanks that you have counted me worthy of this day and this hour, that I should be counted in the number of your martyrs in the cup of your Christ to the resurrection of eternal life, both of soul and body, through the incorruption given by the Holy Spirit. Among them may I be accepted this day before you as a rich and acceptable sacrifice, as you, the ever-truthful God, have foreordained, have revealed beforehand to me, and now have fulfilled. I praise you for all things I bless you. I glorify you along with the everlasting and heavenly Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. With him to you and the Holy Spirit be glory now and forever. Amen. When he had pronounced this amen and so finished his prayer, those who were appointed for the purpose kindled the fire. And as the flame blazed forth in great fury, we beheld a great miracle. For the fire shaping itself into the form of an ark, like the sail of a ship when filled with wind, encircled the body of the martyr. And here we are, friends. Listen to these words. And he appeared within not like flesh that is burnt, but as bread that is baked, or as gold and silver glowing in a furnace. Moreover, we smelled a sweet odor, as if frankincense or some other precious spices had been smoking there. 
When those wicked men saw that his body could not be consumed by the fire, they commanded an executioner to go near and pierce him through with a dagger. This done, there came forth a dove and a great quantity of blood, so that the fire was extinguished and all the people wondered that there should be such a difference between the unbelievers and the elect, of whom this most admirable Polycarp was one, having in her own times been an apostolic and prophetic teacher and bishop of the Catholic Church that is in Smyrna. For every word that went out of his mouth either has yet been or shall yet be accomplished. Amen. So brothers and sisters, when we read 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14, 15, and 16, in the light of this, how are we to interpret this passage? Let me read it again. In the light of St. Polycarp of Smyrna. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumph, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Did you catch that? And through us, my friends, the power of the Holy Spirit that invaded the, the soul of St. Polycarp through and through, was he able to be the sweet fragrance of God. For Paul writes in verse 15, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, among those and among those who are perishing. You see, my friends, St. Polycarp was in the middle of that stadium and consequently was in the middle of what? Well, what did we read? Both of the believers and unbelievers, right? Exactly what St. Paul is talking about here. There's a whole other dimension to this, by the way. Aroma, and for that matter, frankincense, speaks to what? But that which was sacramental, right? These verses have a deep sacramental quality to them. You would use the, the chrism, the, the muron in the Greek, right, to be anointed. And so this speaks to the sacraments of baptism and confirmation. This is why we are to look at the sacraments of baptism and confirmation as evangelical, right? And I use the word evangelical in the truest sense of the word, that these are sacraments of and for evangelization. Could we not say that St. Polycarp of Smyrna was fulfilling his baptismal vocation and was evangelizing both the believers and unbelievers there in that stadium? Could we not say that by his very witness, he was encouraging those who did not believe to believe? What is that great line that comes to us from Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI? That when it is all said and done, the greatest apologetic is the beauty of a life well lived. Yes, we are called to be defenders of the faith, to preach the faith, and to teach and catechize the faith. But if, as we've talked about, none of that is anchored in love, then what do we really have? And so it is, as Benedict states, the greatest apologetic is the beauty of a life well lived and a life turned over to Christ in everything, in everything. Okay, I'm looking up at the clock and we are out of time. We will pick up here next time with uh, chapter three. By the way, as it relates to Thursday, I do think I, I have picked out what we're going to talk about. I have received the question now on more than one occasion, uh, where is the word Catholic in sacred scripture? And uh, then more generally speaking, what are the biblical foundations to that word? And so what I thought we could do, and I'm going to have Debbie Rizal join me, is really 
answer that very specific question. And kind of in that question, there's a 1A and 1B. Now, if you are a faithful listener to this program, you know that if not directly, indirectly, that question has been answered. But again, as I've noted before, Thursdays are set aside to take your questions and to answer them explicitly, right? We are several months in now to this special topic Thursday that is devoted to answering your questions. And I probably have about anywhere from 15 to 20 uh, programs in my queue that respond to your specific questions. And so, uh, yeah, given your questions that you have been sending to me, I think it is a time to answer this question as it has come now to me on more than one occasion. I really do try to spend time. I really do make a point to respond to questions that I see coming up more often than not. All right, with that, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.